Hello and welcome to Vet Club. Uh, this is going to be a, a very exciting episode for me. Um, it's a special episode, not just because Topher isn't here, um, but he's not. So I'm having to do the like speaking and producing all by myself, which is just terrible. Um, but it's because we have a, a new guest, um, somebody who I'm actually hoping will become like a regular. Um, but Dr. Laura Vega is joining us for the first time. Dr. Vega, welcome. Thank you. It's so exciting not just to be, you know, first time guest in the podcast, but also starting to work here. Yeah. So it's a very exciting time. So yes. So Laura is the second criticalist that Virginia Tech has ever had and is officially a criticalist, a board certified criticalist, which is very exciting because you just found that news out. Um, so congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I've wasted no time. I've said, okay, you're here working. It's time to jump on the podcast and start talking about stuff, um, mostly to give Topher a break. And um, it, it'll, I'm excited. One of the things I've been so excited about having another criticalist to work with is to have conversations about different things. And um, so that's what we're going to do. Today is going to be like kind of a it's maybe a little different. I always say this. It's a little different than what we said. It's not. It's like the same. We're going to talk about, um, in this case, we're going to talk about the new canine parvo monoclonal antibody that has recently come onto the market. And um, I'll share just a little bit of background for why I, like when it was like, boom, we have to do this as a podcast. So I got an email. We've, let me back up even further. We've been getting phone calls here at the teaching hospital for, probably a few months now, probably since this came out, which is, I think maybe back in like May or June, I can't remember exactly when it was officially announced. We've been getting calls for at least a month or two now from clinics that are like, do you have the, the parvo treatment? Do you have the parvo treatment? And we're like, no, we don't, we don't. I got an email last week from our pharmacist who was like, we have exciting news. We have the, um, the new Elanco parvo monoclonal antibody. And, um, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I guess I wasn't as excited as I felt like I was supposed to be um, based on like all the, the, I don't know, excitement around this particular um, product. And, um, but I was like, okay, okay. You know, I, I always have to like temper my responses because I've been burned many times over <laughs> the, we have this new treatment for blah, blah, blah. And then it ends up being kind of disappointing. Um, so I was like, okay, well, let, let me look into this a little bit more and see. But the, the idea is really like when a new drug comes out, um, especially if it's from one of the major pharmaceutical companies, they've got a, like a big marketing thing behind this. And so they, they share a lot of information. Um, and so, you know, what I wanted to talk about is like, what do we do with that? How do, how do we as veterinarians who are not, you know, researchers developing canine marvo, parvo monoclonal antibodies, who this isn't my area of expertise, but practicing veterinary medicine and treating parvo is absolutely part of my expertise. So what do I do with this? Um, and so that's what I want to talk about. Uh, so disclaimer, like, you know, disclosure, neither of us <laughs> are involved. Neither of us work for Elanco, neither Certainly. of us. Um, but yeah, like not an expert in developing these treatments. Um, but I would say we have expertise in treating Parvo. We see Parvo. I think, yeah. I think, I think I would say it's fair to say that I, uh, have expertise in how to manage a dog with Parvoviral enteritis. And I think that would be fair to say the same for you, right? Yeah. Like you feel, you feel pretty comfortable. So um, maybe we start there. Like, you know, what's, what's the, what's your treatment for parvo? Like right now, right now. Okay. Three parvo weeks ago before. In. Yeah. <laughs> three weeks ago. Uh, yeah. Parvo dog comes in, but we, we don't have, let's assume we don't have monoclonal antibody. What's your treatment? So I've liked how over the last couple of years, I think we've, we've opened it up a little bit more to truly, you know, be a treatment as for any disease, like you, we really should look at the patient, you know, there's not going to be a recipe, not every case is the same. And even the, you know, the, the old understanding of immediately you tested positive, you need to go in a kennel and get hospitalized for X amount of days. That's not, that's not how things go. And, you know, dogs get affected to different degrees and they're going to need different types of management. And so it could go from a visit not that different from other ER visits and it'll be an outpatient and, you know, you communicate with your client, you come up with an initial plan, you treat for the current clinical symptoms, certainly stabilize anything if, if it's needed at the time. And then maybe giving outpatient management a try is appropriate for that dog Yeah. to those that, you know, come in crashing and you start stabilizing and that kind of cycle never ends. And we just have to keep <laughs> titrating and adjusting our treatments over and over. And, you know, it's, it stays in hospital. 
So if you had to like just distill down and explain to me very simply, like what is the treatment for parvo? So there's no treatment. You know, we um, traditionally, you know, like over all the years, right? You know, it's it's a virus. Mm-hmm. Um, we rely on our patient's immune system to generate an appropriate response. If they got parvovirus, you know, most of the time they did not have that in place already, whether that was because of incomplete vaccination or an inappropriate window of time, um, or they just had never received it, they got exposure, you know, something happened. Bad luck. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And that immune system was not ready for it. And Mm -hmm. so we're going to have to now give it time to be ready for it and overcome the challenge. And we as veterinarians are there to help the patient bridge that gap and get to that point. And so it's all supportive care for, you know, what are the different fires that parvovirus is causing in the body and, and how can we help palliate those? Yeah, I think so for me, that's key is, is thinking about is this is another one of those many, 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 many situations where we're not actually treating a disease, right? Like the patient is fighting it off themselves. Um, they have to kind of reset and and get their body back to normal. We're just trying to, like, I like that, put out fires. Um, you know, we throw out the term supportive care all the time. And I started thinking about, because we say it all the time, and, and I, like, what does that mean? And so I ask students now and, and you know, doc- other doctors, like, so when we say supportive care, what does that mean? And a lot of times they'll be like fluids. I'm like, always? Because some patients, it's not fluids. And and so, you know, we start to like dig into that and like, what does that really mean? And the way I liken it, what makes sense in my head is that supportive care means that you know, we're not treating the actual disease, we're buying them time. And you said that same thing, like we just need time. We think that this this individual probably can get past whatever this is. Um, they're just gonna need some time to sort it out. And I need to create an environment in the patient, like the patient's body is the environment. I need to help create an environment that is conducive to healing, that is conducive um, to recovering from that. And so sometimes that's providing fluids if they're dehydrated or hypovolemic. And in parvo, that's often a a big component of it. It's also trying to make them more comfortable. Like, oh, you're super nauseated and uh, okay, so how can I make you feel better? You're vomiting and that increases your risk of um, aspiration pneumonia, secondary complication. So I want to reduce that. So I'm just trying to like you said, buy them time. That's the treatment. The treatment is time and it's a race against the clock. And so if they die before they get a chance to recover, we lose. If they can survive um, and if I can help increase the odds that they survive so they have enough time, that's that's our job. Um, so yeah, that's like for me in a nutshell. And as you said, every case is different. Like what does this particular patient need? It's not going to look exactly like the one next to it. Um, and parvo is one of those things like many viruses where we're like, "Eh, there isn't a specific treatment. We just got to give you time. According to Alonco, until now. Until now. Until now. And actually like, so I have up on our screen here, um, like some of their web pages because I think that's important. Um, so this this first one um, is a press release, um, and it's you know so this is May of 2023. Elanco announces breakthrough treatment for deadly canine parvovirus. Um, okay, so then we go. Well, what is this? Targeted single dose monoclonal antibody is the first and only treatment for devastating dog disease. Okay, all right, I'll give you that. Based on what we just said, there's not really a treatment per se. Like you know. And parvo is deadly. Absolutely. That's totally true, Um, especially without treatment. Um, What would you say, or maybe you know these numbers, like um, with treatment, what's the prognosis for a dog with parvovirus? In general, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, I don't know. Do you have any numbers off the top? In my head, I've got like 80 to 90% with treatment. Same. Okay. Same here. Yeah. I'm like, that's, I feel like there's a few different studies out there depending on what you look at, but like with treatment, it's pretty darn good. And without treatment, like without any treatment, it's going to be pretty bad with like, as you already alluded to earlier, outpatient treatment and things like that, it still can be pretty good. Um, I've had, you know, pretty darn good luck with, um, I like to call it parvo to go, um, but outpatient parvo treatment. And there's some research um, on outpatient treatment and how it can be effective in a lot of cases. And, um, so it's, it, while it is absolutely, and can be a deadly disease. And I've certainly had patients that I've lost, even those that were treated aggressively. Um, it it is, we do have pretty darn good success with treating it. The biggest problem we have, I would say is cost. Yeah. For me, that's the biggest issue that we run into is, 
um, it can get expensive because it t- they can get very, very sick. And so it can take several days in the hospital with a fair bit of supportive care. Plus they're in isolation, which usually drives the costs up. And so it, that can be a limiting factor for providing the best care that we would like to in every case. Um, Not to so, mention how so many families, you know, it's the, uh, oh, we just got this puppy uh-huh. two days ago. Yeah. I, but it was from the breeder and, you know, yeah. it's just devastating. But we devastating. spent $3,000. We don't have anything left. Yeah. Or, um, or the reason they didn't get vaccinated because they, they didn't, they couldn't afford it. And, and so the, they, you know, anybody who's been practicing for a while knows that, um, while many of our clients that, um, have puppies that get diagnosed with parvo are like, yes, do everything and they can spend, but we have a, a sizable portion that can't always do that. And it's not because they don't want to, it's because it, it, it does get to be really challenging. So, so first off, like, yes, it, it's not untrue that this is a deadly disease, but it's also not true that we like have no treatments for it. Um, so, you know, we're, we're generally doing pretty good. Obviously, vaccination is best, like, right, right. Preventing, preventing um, parvo is, is yeah, way let's, better. Let's not get parvo if we can. Avoid yes, it. yes, it turns but. out vaccination is incredibly effective. Um, so I'm just like thinking about the money they put into the marketing for this. I'm like, what if we just vaccinated all the dogs. Anyway, um, that's a separate issue. So canine parvo uh, monoclonal antibody. Um, so if you read in here, the treatment can be administered to dogs eight weeks of age or older. Cool. That's about when they, you know, the earliest that they would, we would typically diagnose them with parvo. Um, and then it says the antibody treatment may provide a less intensive and more effective solution than supportive care alone by targeting the virus with single dose efficacy and a strong safety profile in healthy dogs. Okay. So just that statement alone, I want to I want to kind of break that down a little bit. What what are your thoughts? Yeah, there's a, a lot to there, process, a, a lot, lot to digest here. Yeah. Um, so we're making a a strong statement about different things. Mm-hmm. You know, the we're saying you know less intensive, more effective solution. Okay, so right there, we're trying to potentially compare it or, you know, set it side to side to what we're doing right now. now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that that information is available to anyone quite yet. Well, they don't either, Laura. That's why they said it may. It may. So for me, that's key. That's key. So the lawyers got a hold of this and they said, no, 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 we can't promise anything, right? They're saying canine uh, parvovirus monoclonal antibody treatment may provide a less intensive and more effective solution. So they've already couched it. They've already been like, no, 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 we didn't promise anything. It, this could happen. I was like, well, yeah. I mean, I suppose if I just give them cow's milk every day, that also may provide a less, you know. So it's it's not a statement. It's trying to have a lot of teeth, but it doesn't actually have any because I think that may gives them a little bit of an out. So for me, the may is, is a lot of wiggle room. Now, uh, targeting the virus with single dose efficacy, meaning you know, what they're, what they've got is one dose made a, made a difference. Okay. All right. Well, that's reasonable. Um, and a strong safety profile in healthy dogs. That also for me gives you a hint at, at what's been going on here. Um, so healthy dogs did fine when they got this monoclonal antibody. Cool. How familiar are you? And my expectation is you're going to be like, not very, um, but how familiar do you feel like you are with the approval process for new drugs coming through the FDA. Yeah, not very. Not very, yeah. yeah. And I think that- Most of us, I feel like, are exactly, not. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I feel like I have a very broad overview, like a general overview. Like we, And, you know, I've had to learn at some point, right, the phase one, two, and three clinical trials and so on and so forth. But um, over the years, I've kind of looked into it a little bit more- because I've had like questions, like, what is it that you have to do to get this right? So, you know, a lot of the early things are, you know, safety profiles. Um, And those are typically always done in the in the species of interest, but in healthy patients that are the species of interest, which is fine. That's that's how the process goes. Like, we're not going to jump right to treating, um, treating animals until we have, you know, some proof here. Um, But then the the bar that you have to jump through to get FDA approval. And keep in mind, like the US FDA is, is one of the stricter um, uh, agencies in the world for getting drugs approved. But the bar is still um, fairly low, depending on what like markers you're talking about. So one, is it safe? Cool. Yeah. All right. That That's good. So usually those are done preliminarily, not in the species of interest, but like you do some initial proof of concept things, maybe in, in murine models, rats or mice or something like that. Eventually it's got to go into the species of interest, but then you've also got to prove that it's doing something that it's, you know, it's got, um, efficaciousness in the population that, you know, is being targeted that they want to label it for. 
but the bar for that is for me um, was surprisingly low. Um, it makes sense when I think about it, but the FDA just needs to see that this is doing something. If you're making a claim that this is doing something, it 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 that's all they need to know. Yes, it's doing something, and it's doing the thing that you you say it's doing. You don't have to prove to the FDA that it is better than what is what alternative. The, the FDA doesn't ask you to say, "Is this better than what's currently available?" That's not really part of what the FDA does, and that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. It shouldn't be the FDA's job to do that. It shouldn't be a limitation no. either for a new product to uh, come out. No. But I think a lot of times we forget about that, that just because something has been approved doesn't mean it's superior to what we currently have. It just means that the the company who made the drug said, hey, we say it's going to do this and it does that and it's reasonably safe. Yeah. Like as that's the public, the you're likely to receive, you know, new product news as, oh, this is, you know, the new shiny toy. It's and new. of course it's going to be better. Newer Otherwise, better. why would it, anybody have made it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they made it because they thought it was going to be better. They yeah. hoped it was going to be better. Yeah. They invested a lot of money into it. And regardless of whether or not it's better, we got to get this out yeah. there. Yeah. You know, not to be horribly cynical about it, but we also have to be realistic about, you know, what the motivations are for, you know, pharmaceutical companies. They, like they, at the end of the day, they're trying to make money. And that's a whole nother podcast about whether or not that's good or bad, but, but that is, that's what exists right now. And so, and the FDA's job though, is to regulate things. And again, they do. And, and exactly what you said, like they shouldn't, they shouldn't be getting involved in like, which one's better, which one's worse. I don't think the FDA should be involved in that. Um, but I think we, as the consumers, and when I say consumers, I mean the veterinarians who are making the decisions and the recommendations need to, to understand what it is the FDA is approving. Um, because then they're going to go back and the drug companies are going to, they're going to just go right to the edge of what they can get away with saying. They're going to be like, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And try to convince you of that because that's their job, right? They have a whole marketing department to do that. And um, and we have to kind of read between the lines. So then where do we go? So where so a new drug comes out and you're like, okay, I want to learn about whether or not I should use this. What do you do? What resources would you go to? Just the product label. That yeah. seems like a reasonable the start. Package insert is my yeah. favorite because the FDA does require... <laughs> that the label provides us with some very, very like basic preliminary information. So I have up on our screen right now, the package insert for um, Elanco's canine parvovirus monoclonal antibody for use in dogs only, and also for use by or under the supervision of a veterinarian. So it is a prescription product, right? You can't go to, now. I don't know if you could. Um, it, hopefully you can't just go down to, you know, your local grocery store and just pick this up. Although every time I turn around, I feel like people are able to do crazy things. The internet makes things easier that way. So um, this goes through, you know, most people who've looked at drug, you know, uh, product inserts will recognize this. So it's a little bit of like background information. Um, what is it? And then it gives you the directions, dosing information. Um, and then here's, here's where for me, this is, this is where it gets important and interesting. So it has efficacy. So we've got like four sentences here um, that four sentences is summarizing the study that they did, that they submitted to the FDA to get approval. And this is, this is the hard part for me, um, and I'll go through what I looked for next, but this is efficacy. 28 uh, CPV negative purpose-bred dogs were intranasally challenged with virulent canine parvovirus type 2B at eight weeks of age. All right, I'm following you. Doing got, good. Yep, Doing good. 28 dogs, and at eight weeks of age, which is reasonable, we're going to give them intranasal um, parvo, which, again, that's actually very close to how it often naturally occurs. Um, I mean, maybe not with like an intranasal <laughs> infusion, but via the nose, like they're going to, dogs are sniffing around and they're picking it up. So all dogs tested positive for parvo in the feces by a, our snap test, which is what we're always going to use anyway, four days after challenge with or without clinical signs of canine parvovirus. That's an important statement for me. Um, and it's important that they included it. So four days after getting this intranasal parvo challenge, they were tested. They were all positive. But that statement means some of them had signs and some of them didn't. Because if they all had clinical signs, they would have said that. So I don't know which numbers. I don't know how many. I don't know how many of these 28 dogs had clinical signs and how many of them didn't. Um, the other thing I think about right now is when do we see dogs with parvo? Over like how many days after they were exposed do we get to see parvo? I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. Is it four days? Maybe, maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes it's 12 days. Maybe I have no idea. So, um, so I don't already, I'm like, I don't know how 
perfectly applicable this is to the patients I'm seeing. But okay. So the same day that they were tested positive, so whether or not they had clinical signs, they were either, they were randomized to either get the monoclonal product or a placebo. Okay. So uh, monoclonal product, placebo, regardless of your clinical signs, but you tested positive for parvo. And so the challenge resulted in no mortality. So of the dogs that were given the monoclonal treatment, none of them died. And so 21 of the 28 dogs were given the treatment and 0% mortality. The placebo control group, four out of seven died during the 14-day observation period. That is the entirety of the efficacy statement. So what questions do you have? <laughs> I'm sure there's a couple. I have many. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a carefully curated four sentences. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it just invites you to have so many questions and yeah. to wonder why exactly the information that is shared is shared and what is not shared right. is, is not there. So um, right off the bat, you know, if we have patients that are non-clinical, these patients, which very likely were part of this study, these patients would have likely never presented to our clinic, not never yet, gotten yeah. a test, yeah. um, you know, and, and, or required even treatment. And how the distribution of those patients was between the groups yeah. would be really crucial yeah, information to have. Yeah, of course we want to know. Yeah. So, because the, the other thing they could have said was eventually all of the dogs developed some clinical signs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or even if they had said, you know, all of the dogs in the placebo group eventually developed clinical signs and none of the dogs, then I'd be like, okay, that's, I mean, it's statistically possible that, you know, that some of those weren't going to, but it's less likely. Um, but I, I want more information. I was like, well, tell me more about that. What were their signs? How severe were they? All of that kind of stuff. So I, that's a lot of important missing information. Yeah. Also, if you read through those statements, it makes you feel like, you know, there's all these little dogs in little boxes. They got inoculated for these after tested, got the treatment or didn't get the treatment. And then you just had a, an observator just sitting like across the room. Yeah. Just staring at them, you know, counting the time and then until yeah, one these many dies. died and this many didn't. Yeah. But did other things happen? Yeah. It's not clear. Not? Like, were they given supportive care? Like what we would do in a hospital setting? Um, if not, that's really sad. And it may not have happened because again, from the FDA standpoint, if you want to prove that this is doing something, not providing support, because if you provide supportive care and all seven of the placebo dogs survive, that makes it really hard for them to prove that they're doing something, Absolutely. right? So you can certainly understand why the FDA and why the drug company wants to have very, very clear you know, treatment arms because it gets messy as, as soon as you start treating this. But also it's like, whoa. <laughs> so in this situation, none of the dogs that got the, the treatment died. That's pretty cool, yeah. right? Like that, that's real. Like that, something is happening there, right? I, I can look at that and be, I believe that something is happening, that zero of 21 dogs that got the monoclonal treatment died. That's amazing. Four of the seven, which makes me, again, that, that mortality rate makes me think they weren't, they weren't getting, it doesn't say specifically, but those numbers make it seem like they weren't getting supportive care. Um, because if they were, I have questions about their supportive care because that is a <laughs> much I higher mortality. Yeah, there's a much higher mortality rate than we are seeing. We're seeing more in the 10, maybe 15, maybe up to 20% I would buy if they were getting supportive care. So the implication, even though it's not stated, is that nobody was getting supportive care, which means this is doing something. So that is pretty exciting, right? That with no treatment, these dogs weren't dying. But <laughs> this is a pretty small number of dogs, right? So 21 dogs that didn't die. Well, Okay, but so we can maybe reduce the mortality rate if no other treatment is provided. But generally speaking, I'm going to recommend providing, you know, supportive care um, like we've talked about. So so there's still a lot of unanswered questions um, for me on this. But there's evidence that this is doing something. So that's pretty exciting. Then the next part of the um, insert is the safety. Um, so this would this would have been the studies they had to submit to the FDA before the the final efficacy studies. Um, So they've got on here field safety data. So 147 client-owned dogs of various breeds. So that's pretty good, ranging from six weeks to 15 years of age. So it's a nice range. Um, So that's pretty good, weighing between 0.6 and almost 60 kilograms. So also a pretty pretty good range there. So it wasn't like, in this case, these are all the same dog, same age. So so nice, a a fairly reasonable range. Now they're all uh, healthy as... um, right? 
Yeah, healthy dogs. Okay. And located in nine separate sites. So it wasn't all in one location. So these are, these are you know, so they were recruited for this, you know, probably there were some incentives here, get, you know, coming in for a wellness check. Hey, can we do this? Um, and they said, they, so they are all given the product by, you know, the, the label dosing. No anaphylactic reactions or clinical presentations consistent with anaphylaxis were reported. Cool. Um, which is important for something that's a monoclonal antibody because you would expect um, there's a possibility. Now, 147 dogs is a decent number, but it's not a ginormous number. Um, so that certainly doesn't mean anaphylaxis wouldn't happen. And for me as a clinician, I'd still be wary of that. Um, and then they have a table with all of the adverse reactions that were reasonably associated with the use of this product in the safety trial. Um, they say most were mild and recovered within a day. Three dogs took two to four days to recover. One dog had continuing site inflammation until study exit, which was 14 days after um, it received the original injection. Um, and they say there's more, more data available at this website. And the most common adverse reaction were injection site reactions, which was in 4%. So injection site reaction, um, erythema, inflammation, edema, pain, and a total number of six dogs out of the 147 had this. That's not bad. Pretty decent numbers. Yes, yeah, I'd say that's pretty darn good. Um, and it's not even clear that's from the actual drug. That could just be from the injection itself. And then systemic. So that was local. And then systemic adverse reactions. We had two out of 147 dogs that had diarrhea. One dog that had puritis, where? I don't really know. Um, and that was it. So those were like, that's a pretty good safety profile, right? Because the diarrhea, like who knows if that's even caused by, by this, right? It may be. And so they're saying it's reasonable that it could have done this, but who knows what else was going on? Like showing up to the vet, stressed them out and they had colitis. And then the puritis is, is a little interesting. Could be an allergic reaction. Um, not an anaphylactic reaction, but an allergic reaction. But overall, pretty darn safe. And I presume, so from the FDA standpoint, mm -hmm. do you have a, a very extensive list already of, you know, adverse reactions that could develop? And so you're obligated to report those if, oh, you, yeah. if you see them. They report, yeah, yeah they, they keep track of and report like everything for this kind of stuff. Um, and then they have to kind of go back and say like, do we think it's possible? You know, this dog sneezed three times and they're like, mm. you know, depending on what you're testing. Um, but they tend to overlist everything that it even possibly could be, which is why when you see like those drug commercials on TV, when they're like, you know, may cause blah, 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 blah. And they list like 600 things that have nothing to do with like what the medication would do. And you're like, does it? But it is almost a little funny. And we yeah. joke about it, but it's, it's because of these types of studies where they say, look, we did a thing, something happened after it. We have to, you know, almost assume that that could have been a cause and effect, even though realistically we know it doesn't necessarily have to be. But even with that, only three dogs had any type of systemic um, adverse effect. So that's pretty impressive. So even if you said every one of those is caused by this drug, it's pretty good pretty good and it seems like we can we can trust this this part of the information pretty well i don't um, think so yeah with the big contingency of healthy dogs which is not yes. the population that we'll be administering no. the treatment to no yeah which is always how this goes right yeah. like this isn't the fault of the drug company no. like this is this is the process we're going to give it to healthy animals um and and so that's a that's a great first step but will unhealthy animals with parvo respond the same way? We, we don't know. Now you have the efficacy study where you do see, it's not like, oh, and we gave it to dogs with, you know, who tested positive for parvo, they all dropped dead. So that's good. <laughs> um, because again, if you go back to the efficacy study, that you're certainly not seeing um, anything that would suggest uh, that they had poor reactions to the drug there. So I'm, I'm feeling reasonably comfortable that this is a safe drug. Like, Nothing is perfectly safe. Nothing can do no harm. That's not a thing. But um, but pretty good safety profile from what we have so far. Now, 150 some odd dogs is far fewer than you know we will want to have. And eventually, over time, especially when something gets approved, we'll have a lot bigger N. Um, but for now, um, I'd say that's a pretty good start. Um, so, but that's what we get from the package insert. Because then there's also like precautions you have to store it this way, and you know here's some warnings if you know don't eat it yourself, that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the extent of what the package tells us. But then you go to the advertisers, you know, and they're like, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I dug a little deeper. Um, not very deep because there's nowhere to dig, right? Like you kind of, you, you dig, you get the shovel out and you're like, okay, we're at, we're at the bottom. We got everything. But if you look on their main webpage, so not the press release from Alonco, 
But the main webpage, um, it's, you know, elanco.com for parvovirus. And they're like, here it is. It's cute little teal packaging. Um, learn more. That's where you can get to the product label. So that's nice. The product label is kind of small um, over there, but you can find it. And then they're like, why do this? Um, you know, and so then they do some fancy stuff. So it's a monoclonal antibody. It's a single dose. It's a high safety profile. And then again, this may, it may help decrease the burden of supportive care and may help reduce emotional stress. I'm guessing that's the client's emotional emotional stress. stress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's a client's emotional stress. Um, And then they're like, here's important information. And so I'm scrolling, scrolling. Here's dosing information. That's nice and big. Okay, here's some pretty pictures of what an antibody uh, schematic looks like. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, so can I have more about like what it, what it does? And wait, oh, I had found some stuff that had more information that I was kind of excited. Oh, it's on the, it's on the safety part. That's right. So in their press release, this is, this is interesting. They've got videos about it. They've got quotes from veterinarians. Um, they've got quotes from the president of Elanco. And then I started looking down, um, under the middle of this page for their press release, this conditional license approval granted by the USDA, so not the FDA here, to effectively and safely meet an emergency situation, limited market or special circumstance. This is just because there isn't anything really labeled for Parvo, so that's cool. Um, Treatment for canine Parvo, bridges Elanco's expertise in therapeutics and vaccines. Um, In the treatment efficacy study, the canine parvovirus monoclonal antibody was proven effective in decreasing mortality associated with Parvo infection. Okay, that sounds very much like the package insert. Cool. So they've got a number three here, which means there's like a reference for it. So I got kind of excited because then the next sentence says treated dogs also had significantly faster times to resolution of the most adverse effects of parvovirus, including vomiting, meaning that they feel better, faster and get home sooner. Cool. This is a lot more promising. Yeah. So then I go three and four. Okay. Well, let me find where those are. So I scroll, 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 scroll down to the bottom. And okay, here are our references. Uh, Number three, Elanco Animal Health, data on file. Number four, Elanco Animal Health, data on file. So... That is not a peer-reviewed publication yet. Hopefully that's in the works for them. Um, Hopefully they plan to publish this because as of right now, this is just from what Elanco has to say. So they've got a little table here, the incidence of severe disease and treated versus controls. And these numbers look pretty good, right? Um, So 57% mortality versus 0% if they got treated, awesome. Severe diarrhea, however, that is qualified. I'm not really sure for greater than or equal to two days. Very big difference here. Lymphopenia, which is, I'm starting to get a little, I'm like, okay, at least that's like pretty concrete, pretty different between them. Fever for greater than equal to three days. There's so many things that can impact that. So I don't know, inappetence um, and vomiting. So if you look at just the chart that they have on their webpage, it looks really promising. But if I want to see the actual study, it's not available yet. And, and so I have to take this with like a big old spoonful of salt. Um, because my other question is, well, I don't know. I'm talking too much. What other questions do you have? What are your thoughts on this? Well, again, if we're going to be comparing groups, then I want to know group baseline characteristics and information. Yeah. Yeah. So my first thought is, was this the same dogs that in that initial, cause like this death, I'm assuming that 50 per 7% and zero, that's from the package insert. Those are the yeah, same that numbers. Sounds very familiar. Yeah. And so, but like 14 and 71%, like, is this the same dogs? This suggests like, did they get treatment? So the dogs that got no treatment had severe diarrhea. Um, sure. The dogs that had like, but is this the same as if they were getting supportive care? So I'm still not convinced, right? Because treated, it just says treated control just says control. And if this is all the same dogs from the package insert, they didn't like the control dogs weren't in my opinion, a true control. If we're trying to say we should be treating dogs with parvo with this drug. Um, so that's the struggle that I have right now. Now, if this is free, then yeah, let's do it. It's pretty darn safe. Um, and it certainly, if and we provide no may. other treatment and it may do all these things. So if it's free like, heck yeah, let's do it. But it's not free, um, as one would expect. Uh, Elanco wants to get paid for that, which is also fair. I I don't think that's unreasonable. But um, for me, as the clinician who's going to be making recommendations about whether or not to use this drug, I have to factor that in. Do we have a quote from our pharmacy? Yeah, yeah. So going to be yeah. So this is going to the cost to the client of our hospital. Um, So it's a teaching hospital and uh, is going to cost. $2,000 
$250 roughly of vial. Okay. Now the way this is dosed, um, they come in one mil vials and it's 0.2 mils per kilogram. So a five kilogram dog, which is, you know, a lot of our parvo pucks are going to be pretty small like that. Um, it's going to be about $250 for a one-time dose and you don't have to do it repeatedly. So that's nice. But in our hospital, $250 is a whole day in the hospital. So if they are six kilograms and we need two vials, right? That's now $500, which is about two to three days in the hospital. If they are 10 kilo or, you know, over 10 kilograms, that's three vials. That's now $750. So I have, I'm at the point for me right now where I go, okay, I believe this is doing something. I do. Is it doing enough to offset the cost of the treatment? And the answer to that question right now is, I don't know. Yeah. And then you don't know, you know, along that time frame, if you're trying to decide to use it for an individual patient, mm -hmm. you may not reach for it initially. Mm -hmm. And the information that we have was when the product was administered four days right, after inoculation, mm -hmm. which we don't know early. when it happened. Yeah. But, but early. Presumably <laughs> yeah. early. Yeah. So where does that leave us? Yeah, exactly. It's complicated. And so what what I think will happen is people will say, "Ooh, we're we're going to reserve this for the sickest patients." Um, wait until the end. Wait until, until yeah, there's all when else fails. Mm -hmm. The one that looks terrible, which is to be fair to Ilongo, not fair to Ilongo, right? Yeah, no, but not fair to Ilongo. However, they're the ones that are coming out like stop Parvo in its tracks. That's a quote on one of their pages. Like stop Parvo in its tracks. It's like. Well, only if it's certain tracks at a certain time point, right? Like we just, we just don't know enough yet. So there is strong evidence that this is doing something. There is strong evidence that this is pretty safe. What we don't yet have strong evidence is that, is this going to make a real important difference in the cases that we are seeing in the real world? I don't know yet. Um, and I, I hope that it does. Like that would be wonderful if it can reduce mortality, if it can shorten hospitalization. Um, but I think we just need a lot more information. And um, I'm, so I'm looking forward, I'm really hoping that these, um, these references that they have right now, that's just data on file, will, will be shared. Um, I'm hoping that somebody's planning to publish these, and a lot of times they do, um, but not always. Um, and sometimes they don't just because they get busy, it takes time, it takes money. And other times, you know, the, the more cynical side of me goes, they're not publishing it for a reason. Like they don't, they don't wanna tell me all these other things because it's not going to help their case. Because if it was gonna help their case, they would tell me about it. <laughs> I mean, like that's that's realistic. Like this this little like side by side here. The expected outcomes with canine parvovirus monoclonal antibody treatment: one intravenous dose. Well, that's not an outcome. That's the directions. Highly effective. Okay, uh, depending on what it's effective for. But yes, faster resolution of clinical signs or severe disease. That one's I'm you're I'm struggling with that one because. That is only under the circumstances with which it's been tested so far, which is comparing that to no treatment at all, as best we can tell. Yeah. Reduced hospitalization. Again, I don't, again, and that this is expected outcomes. This is what Elanco expects. Um, and, you know, if I pay $250, that's what I expect. That doesn't mean that's what I'm going to get. And again, puppies may feel better faster, go home sooner. The traditional parvo treatment can consist of 24-7 care true maybe the dogs that are getting but the monoclonal antibody should, should also, also get that. yeah like i i don't i would expect that i would recommend it yeah if they're sick um you know like what you're saying if they come in and they're just very barely having any signs maybe maybe we do this and they don't need 24 7 care but that's not based on whether or not they got this treatment that's based on how the dog is doing in the moment three to five days of hospitalization is traditional okay that's fair i think that's reasonable um, but we don't know how long it's going to be if they get this treatment and hospitalization. Emotional stress for staff. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, I think not treating them and like sending them home may also cause some stress. I don't know. Make, it stresses me out just thinking about it. Like, let's give them this and then send them away so we don't have to know about it. Um, this one's interesting. Risk of cross-contamination. I don't know what that means. And I, are they saying that the monoclonal antibody reduces the risk? Because like if we send them home, then they're just not contaminating anyone else, um, which actually brings up another question I have. But And then they have unpredictable outcomes with potentially high pet owner costs. Yes. Um, but the, the implication here is that the outcomes are predictable if you give this. And with 28 dogs, that's we not We don't enough. really know. So 
I get it. I get where they're coming from. I'm not saying Elanco is evil. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm actually really excited about the potential for, for this. I think it has the potential to be really, really cool. But... <laughs> We just got to rein it in a little bit. Um, And so here's my question. We have a dog that comes in today. We have this on our shelves now. Are you recommending it? Yes, no. Why, why not? Under what circumstances? Yes. Under what circumstances? No. I know it's a tough question. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it really is at this point. But we're Um, faced with it, like, because it is in our shelves and some people are asking about it. Yeah. I think while we wait for more information, um, as with with many possibilities that were presented as clinicians, I'm probably going to have a conversation with the owner. Yeah. And I'm probably going to be, you know, pretty transparent about what we know, what we don't know, the potential, the maze benefits, um, and, and the cost mm-hmm. and the uncertainty about when, you know, it would be best to give it and mm-hmm. how I don't know where their pet is along mm-hmm. that time frame. Also the fact that, you know, just because it's only been proved or tried, tested on dogs, you know, at the potentially early stage, if we wait, if you choose to, you know, hold out and not try this now, I can't promise you, I mean, I can't promise anything, but I can't promise that we can come back to this in three days and Mm -hmm. it'll be as effective if there is any benefit to it. Yeah. That's a tricky spot. That's the hard part for me is that it seems like based on the information we have now, which is admittedly very limited, it seems like the best time to give this is early when they're not that sick yet, when it's hard to convince people to spend a bunch of money. Um, And it'd be hard for me to recommend that and to say, hey, spend $250 now because we think you might save a bunch of money later. I don't know that you will. You might just spend this money and and then it just goes down the drain. But I think for me, with the information we have, that's a reasonable guess. But yeah, once they're already sick in the thick of it and vomiting and they're dehydrated and they're hypovolemic and we have to you know treat their shock when they come in, I'm like, it, it's very possible this is already way too late. But now I'm going to add $250, which could shorten the time they have in the hospital for something that I would argue is also proven, like, proven treatment, right? Like we, we know how to treat Parvo. We don't save all of them, but it's not like we're completely guessing. Like we have no idea what to do with this case. Like they're pretty predictable. And, um, and so that's really hard for me to say, take an extra day of hospitalization out right from the get-go with something that I still don't really know what impact it's going to have. Yeah. It's hard. All right. I'm going to ask you another question. It's your dog. You have, you just adopted a puppy. You have this really cute little three month old roly poly thing. And for some reason, um, because you're a veterinarian, you forgot to vaccinate it. I don't know. Um, or maybe, maybe we'll, we'll make it less sinister. There was an accidental contamination and he was under vaccinated. Just really bad luck. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so you have your, your cute little, I don't know. What's your favorite breed? I don't know yet. Okay, cute little mixed breed, roly-poly, adorable little puppy who um, you've already picked out a name. You've got this cute little bed. He's best friends with your other dog. You love him so much and he gets parvo. And okay, so right now he's just barely got any signs. He's had a couple bouts of diarrhea. You tested him. He's positive. Are you giving this? Yeah, I think I'm giving it. You're giving it there. Okay. Yeah, I'm giving it. Okay, so now it's not that. It's 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 now later. Um you're out of town, your pet sitter sucks and came home and he's really sick now. Are you giving it then? I think I am. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've definitely developed over the years, you know, the, the practice of having insurance for my pets. Oh, that's smart. Which <sighs> greatly relieves the, the financial. Well, you're ruining my thought experience. Okay. You lapsed on your payment for your insurance and they're not going to cover this. <laughs> Are you still doing it? I'm just going to keep pushing and pushing. It's harder than it is harder. Yeah, it yeah. is harder. Yeah. Because you know, and, and some of my answers there were based on, you know, I think this does seem to have a good safety profile. Yeah. And yeah. so if it can help and I don't think it will hurt. Yeah. If I take it's the finances out of it, then, you know, it's easier. I think that's a great way to present it to clients. Like, look, if spending the extra $250 is not a huge hardship and it's not going to mean that we can't keep him in the hospital for another day, then it's probably reasonable to try this um, at this point. Um and the, the sucky part about that is if we spend $250 now and it saves money, that's who we really, we really want to do it in the patients who, where finances are tight. We just don't know yet. Yeah. Ugh, that's so tough. I don't know what I would do. Um, I, I, people who listen to this podcast know that I'm like very skeptical about everything. And my, my default, if it's not clear um, whether or not something is going to help, either like 
you know, improve outcomes or at least make them feel better. I tend to, to not, um, I tend to be a waiter when it comes to drugs and things like that. So I think I would probably be like, nah, I'm going to stick with the traditional treatments and just go with, you know, what I, I feel comfortable with. Um, but what I really, really want to do is I want Elanco to come and say, Hey, we need you all to help us um, prove that this is awesome. And so here, we're going to donate a bunch of doses of this so that you can enroll patients in these prospective clinical trials and actually prove that all the different questions we've had, like, does it make a difference what their severity is at the time of treatment? Does it make a difference? Um, you know, were they un or under vaccinated? Does it make a difference if they receive the best possible supportive care or was it an outpatient one? Like all of those things need to be asked and answered. Sign me up for that one. Yeah. 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 I mean, and we could, maybe we can reach out because my whole thing is like, put your money where your mouth is. If you really believe in this product, then you would want me to, you would want, you know, whoever wants to do it to run these clinical trials because then you're going to convince me, right? Like if I, so I had, um, years ago, um, I was approached by like this random, random dude, um, who invests in things and it was a treatment for parvo. Um, it was not monoclonal antibodies. It was, has nothing to do with the long This was co- totally separate. It was actually a kind of a cool concept. Should we come back to the disclaimer section in the beginning? Yeah, the disclaimer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No disclaimer. Like, so, but essentially they approached me, um, in my role at the university of Florida and were like, Hey, we, we really believe in this product. Um, and we want you to use it and test it. And then you can tell everybody how great it is. And I was like, okay, if you want to fund some studies. So I put together this proposal and like the study that I wanted to do was going to be like a hundred thousand dollars, which for like a clinical trial is pretty cheap for veterinary medicine is quite expensive. But I was like, if you're serious that this is really that good, that's what it's going to take to be able to do the prospective study. Because I, what I wanted was I want to be able to enroll these patients, do a randomized placebo controlled clinical trial where everything was covered by the study. So the, the client's finances was not going to impact what treatment the dogs got. So I was like, the study needs to fund everything so that they can all get the care that they need to. And the only difference is going to be whether they got this treatment or not. And they were like, hey, yeah, this sounds great. And they're like, well, the investors want to start with just like a couple dogs for proof of concept. And so they gave me like, you know, six or $7,000. So I was able to treat like two or three dogs. And in those two or three dogs, it was not like, oh, they just automatically got better and they survived instantly and everything was fine. And so I was like, yeah, we still don't know. We need to do this $100,000 study to actually prove if it's going to make a difference or not. And then they kind of stopped talking to us. Hmm. Yeah, so we ne- they never came through with the funding. And I'm like, if you believe in this product, now you can you can buy this product on Amazon. I'm not going to tell people what it is. I don't want people to go find it. But like you can buy it on Amazon. And the, the concept behind it made sense to me. And I was like, it's reasonable to think it could work. But if you really believe in this and you want people to, to believe in it and you want me to be the expert to say, yes, this is put mine, attach my name to this. I will shout it to the rooftops if it makes a difference, if we can prove it. Um, but we're going to have to prove it and you're going to have to fund that if you want it to be done well. And it's funny how that just fell apart after that. Um, and again, I don't think it's that they don't they, they wanted somebody to just be like, this, this idea is really cool. Just trust me. I gave it to this vet at a shelter and like, she just raves about it. I'm like, that's not a prospective placebo control clinical trial. And I'm sorry to be a big old jerk and a skeptic, but I'm a big old jerk and a skeptic. If you convince me, I like, I'm going to be your biggest champion. Like I'm going to go and convince people like me. I believe that this is a real thing. And here's, here's the thing. You don't have to believe me because here's the evidence. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where I get, um, I'm, I'm a skeptic. Um, I don't want to be, I actually, I want to be convinced <laughs> that these things are great and they're wonderful. And, uh, and we might, yeah. yeah, it might be, you know, they're in so. the works that getting ready hope. to be published. Oh, and anytime. there probably are. Yeah. I would be surprised yeah, yeah. actually if they have not already found some practices, um, maybe some of the ones that were involved in the safety studies, like maybe they're doing follow-up stuff. I would be very surprised if they don't already have some things in the work. And these companies typically do, and they will say, we're going to donate the product. That's part of, part of our budget. Um, but for me, not being part of a trial right now, it's hard for me to recommend to somebody, you should spend your hard-earned money on this thing because we just we don't have, for me, enough definitive evidence of who is going to benefit in what ways. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So I don't want to be like a downer about it, and I don't think so. Like I think we're still optimistic, um, but I also I think I'm gonna hold back on like shouting from the rooftops that like, guys, we have this. It's the greatest thing ever. Everybody, every parvo dog should get this. Like, um, not sure yet. Not sure. So that's the take home. That's the, that's the message I want to get out there is that yes, 
there's this new product, potentially really cool. Like theoretically, it makes sense. You know, monoclonal antibody makes sense. Here's my question. Uh, and I, not that like, you're going to answer this, but if you have a dog that, you know, early in the disease, you, um, you give it this monoclonal antibody and it never really gets sick. It, I'm assuming it is not protected at all against parvo now. Like it's just going to get exposed again, right? Because we gave somebody else's antibody. Yeah. And so its own immune system maybe didn't even get enough to, if you give it early enough. So I'd be curious to like with those dogs that in the, in the treatment arm, though, especially if there's any that didn't really get clinical signs, like what is that? I'm assuming they have zero, ex like as far as their immune system is yeah. concerned, they weren't exposed. Yeah. Kind of like mom's antibodies being there and protecting you. Yeah. And then again, so. I don't, know the answer to this not an expert in immunology but would they ever interfere with vaccination yeah depending on where the timeline yeah. fell with everything yeah yeah i wouldn't i certainly wouldn't give this in vaccination at the same time right um but like what is the half-life of this how long is this going to stick around because it is a single dose um and so how long are these monoclonal antibodies expected to stick around and so like a week two weeks um so if you were to vaccinate them because presumably you need to vaccinate them because you have blunted their own immune response and you're going to need to vaccinate them for the other things and the combos for, for dogs anyway. Right. Um, but at what point is this no longer going to impact that? And so that's another, um, I think really important question, um, that when you start messing with immunology, like sometimes there's unintended consequences, not that that can't be overcome. I mean, that's easy enough to just like, we're going to have to give you a booster later, but people need to know that yeah. we need to know what the impact is. Um, if like, Hey, by the way, your dog just recovered from Parvo, but also it's still not protected from Parvo and can get it again. Um, and then what's the deal if we have to redose, does the risk of anaphylaxis suddenly go way higher? Um, that'd be interesting to look at too. So those are all things that'll come out hopefully over the years. Um, so exciting when new stuff like this comes out, but I just, I have to temper my excitement a little bit and, um, and, and try to remind those around me not to get caught up in the marketing, um, because the marketing is often quite good. <laughs> it just, it is. I mean, that's, that's these, these folks do that. It doesn't mean it's in and, in and of itself bad. That doesn't mean that I'm evil. We just have to be a little careful not to get caught up in the, the frenzy of the excitement. So yeah. Other thoughts, final thoughts. I loved going through a new product like this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's it's really helpful. Um, it's great to talk about it with a colleague and go over kind of the same materials, acknowledging that there'll be very few of them and yeah. little information out there. And trying to come up with, yeah, well, where, where do I stand about this right now? What, yeah. what am I going to tell my client tomorrow when they come in? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, or when my colleague is like, oh, we have to be using this. And you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm not convinced. And, uh, you know, when the rep comes in and buys you lunch and is like, this is the greatest thing ever. And you're like, but um, ask them those questions. So, yeah, that's my advice is have these conversations. Talk with your colleagues about it. Read through the package insert and ask, like, what are they not telling me? Um that, again, that doesn't mean we all have to be like cynical jerks, but um, but we can temper things a little bit. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. I think it's really helpful and I think other people will be um, will be curious to, to th how, how do I process this myself? And so um, yeah, it's so awesome to have you on the show and I hope that you had fun and that you'll think about coming back. Thank you and thank you all for joining. Yay. We'll see you next time. <laughs>